0: Greetings fellow travelers, vagrants, explorers, wildlanders, and welcome to episode 19 of the Retro Wildlands. My name is Nomad, and this is my gaming podcast where I like to share my thoughts and experiences with a video game that I've discovered or rediscovered while roaming the gaming wildlands. Thank you very much for tuning into the show today, my friend. Whether this is your first time joining our expedition into the wildlands or you've been with us for a while now, I'm very glad that you're hanging out with us today. Dee, Dee, the canine leader of our expedition, has been in kind of a crummy mood this week. The weather is getting really cold here in Ohio and that means time outside has been pretty limited. My wife went out to get a couple winter coats, one for Dee, Dee and the other for our other little hellhound, Dexter. While those coats definitely keep them a little bit warmer outside, Dee Dee looks especially miserable, so when he comes around today and gives you the obligatory sniffing, please be sure to scratch him a little bit behind the ears and hopefully cheer him up a little bit. And if you have any food in your packs, you have my permission to give him a little something. My poor boy gets so sad during the winter. On today's episode, we're taking a look at a video game that almost needs no introduction. Originally released on Windows PC before being ported to the PlayStation 2 and Xbox several months later by Rockstar Games, Max Payne is a game that is guaranteed to put a smile on anybody's face. We play as Max Payne, an NYPD detective who takes the law into his own hands after the brutal murder of his wife and infant child. Max is out to solve the murder of his family, but also complete his three-year-long investigation into the trafficking of a new designer drug called Valkyr. Things get complicated fast, though, as Max finds himself sinking pretty deep into a conspiracy that involves local crime families, a major pharmaceutical company, a secret society, and even tangles with the US military. Max goes off the reservation in his pursuit of vigilante justice. Max Payne is mostly remembered for its gritty, neo-noir storytelling and revolutionary-for-the-time gunplay, which featured the notorious bullet time mechanic. Bullet time allowed players to slow down time, which set the player up for some pretty awesome gun battles where precision timing allowed you to expertly dispatch a room of drug dealers and criminals, and look like a fucking action movie star while you did it. When Max Payne launched back in 2001, it received fantastic reviews and it was showered with praise. There weren't very many video games back then that made you feel like a complete badass, quite like Max Payne did, and I argue that there aren't too many games out there now that can make you feel this way. But what's more, the storytelling of Max Payne is something that should be praised as well. The story is told through Max's perspective and presented as either in-game voiceovers from Max himself or through comic book-style cutscenes that embody that neo-noir style. The voiceovers almost perfectly capture the dark and sometimes hopelessness of New York's seedy underbelly as we fight along with Max in order to see his vigilante quest come to its conclusion. So does Max Payne and its gameplay still hold up today? Well, you're just going to have to stay tuned and find out. I had an interesting time with Max Payne, and I can't wait to tell you about it. Plus, I do have a pretty big bone I need to pick with this game too, so be prepared to hear me vent a little bit. But before we get to Max Payne, I like to use a bit of time at the beginning of the podcast to get in some plugs and give you all a peek behind the scenes here in the Retro Wildlands. This is where I like to go over what's going on with me, how the podcast itself is doing, what I'm working on, what might be coming up when it comes to future episodes, and I'll end that all with any comments from listeners we got on our call-out this past weekend over on our social media platforms. If you are not at all interested in any of that, and you just want to get to the Max Payne part of the show, no worries, you can just skip ahead about 5-7 to minutes and you should get into the Game Talk. And if you want to skip ahead and don't want to mess around with that little slider thingy on your podcast app, you can check out the show's description and check out the timestamps I put in there so you can get exactly where you want to go. But you are more than welcome to stick around here and listen to me ramble for a little bit. It'll give you a chance to grab a chair, pour yourself a drink, and uh, get settled in for some gaming goodness. So today is November 24th, and here in the United States we are celebrating Thanksgiving. Whether you're listening to the podcast here in the U.S. or somewhere else, I hope you all enjoy the day today. I'm thankful for a lot of things this year, and one of those things that I'm thankful for is you. This podcast project has been an absolute fun one. I've gotten a chance to talk and interact with some pretty cool people, both online and in person these past few months, and it's been really awesome getting to know some of you. So allow me to slip one more thank you in, my friends. Thank you for your kindness thanks for interacting with the show on social media, and thanks for taking a chance on this little project of mine. Since it's Thanksgiving this week, and since I had a ton of vacation saved up from my full-time adult job, I was off all week this week, and I'll be off all next week as well. It has been pretty awesome to say the least. I'm trying to take advantage of the time away to get some things done around the house, and I want to see how much work I can do on the podcast and get some of the things I want squared away. I've also made it a point to rearrange my home office and get things more organized. My physical game collection is spread across my office and in the living room, and I have games pretty much all over the house. The shelf I have reserved just for my PlayStation Portable collection has finally reached its capacity, so I ordered another shelf that I put together and migrated my games to. I figured this would be a great time to just gut the office and just clean some things up. Mondays and Fridays, I'm able to work from home, and after a couple years of this, thanks to COVID-19, I think a little change in scenery is in order. A lot of my gaming collectibles and toys are all on top of my bookshelf, which is kind of tall, so I'm eager to rearrange those and just spruce up my space a bit. I'm sure as I move things around, I'll take some more photos and keep posting them on social media if anyone's interested. To put it into context, my space is nothing lavish. The desk I use is the one I grew up with from the early 90s, my strategy guides and comics are smashed next to my wife's Danielle Steele book collection, and the overall space is, eh, it's kind of small. But it's my space, and I love it. If any of you have a pretty cool gaming setup, home office, or just a hideaway to go game or go veg, I'd love to see it. Your setup doesn't need to be anything extraordinary, just somewhere where you game or somewhere where you go to chill out. Where can you share your gaming bat caves and fortresses of solitude? Well, over on our social media platforms, of course. You can find us over on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter if you search at Retro Wildlands. After 19 podcast episodes, I think I finally got myself into a social media routine that I'm fairly happy with. If you want to spice up your timelines and feeds with some gaming goodness, consider following us on any and all platforms. I've been sharing parts of my gaming collection and even showing off bits of my PSP movie collection as well. I don't watch as many movies as I would like and having a collection that's on the go is pretty awesome. I've also been creating and posting a video once a week on the game that I'm going to cover on the podcast. Using the world's cheapest capture card, I've been capturing gameplay footage and using that and creating some pretty cool gameplay demos that I've been posting. Now, I'm not one to brag too hard, but I am pretty damn proud of these things, so you should check them out and let me know what you think about them. And if that isn't enough, I've been posting samples of each episode after they go live. Just something short that I'm hoping people will catch wind of and potentially listen to and say, Hey, that podcast doesn't sound completely awful. I think I'm going to give that one a try. And if you have any friends or anyone you think might be interested in the show, feel free to share those. And, to place a nice plump cherry on top of the Retro Wildland Social Media Sunday, every weekend I put a call out for comments or questions to be read in the next show's intro. I wanted to give anyone who follows us on our social media platforms a way to interact with the show if they wanted. I'm happy to read and react to comments about the game we're covering, recant a memory you want to share, or answer any questions you might have about the game, the podcast, or even questions you might have about myself. They can be gaming-related, but they don't have to be. Whatever posts do accumulate, I'll read them near the end of the show's intro, so if any of what I just spewed out sounds remotely interesting, throw us a follow. The podcast itself continues to grow a bit. There's the usual spike of downloads on Thursday when the newest episode launches, but every now and then I'll see a spike in downloads one day and then a lull on another day. I've been trying to network with other podcasters and inject myself in some of the local retro communities, and it's been pretty fun talking with some new people. It's actually been a little daunting, though, if only at first. I don't usually put myself out there quite like this, but I want to learn as much as I can about podcasting and network with anyone listening to the show. Getting out of my comfort zone has been really rewarding. I'm juggling messages I get on social media, on several different Discord servers I joined, and messages that come to me directly, and so far, I'm kind of having some fun with it. It has been a bit of a juggling act, but it has been great interacting with anyone that wants to reach out to me. All that to say, thank you again for anyone taking the time to listen to the show and to those who've connected with me one way or another. I'm really eager to see how the show is going to grow by the time the year ends. So what games have I been playing? I'm still working through Crisis Core Final Fantasy VII on my PlayStation Portable. I have more than enough to write a podcast script now if I wanted to, but I wanted to finish the game before starting on that. For those of you that know the story of Final Fantasy VII, and especially know the story of this game, the ending is pretty memorable. I want to feel how I felt back then when I first played through this game, and see if I can capture that in next week's episode. So with that, Crisis Core is coming up next week for sure. Well, barring any sort of disaster. The Crisis Core remake is less than a month away, and I'm pretty excited to get my hands on that. If you've never played the game before, I'm hoping my episode will give you a good incentive to check out the original or take a chance on the remake. Spoilers will be kept to a minimum for the first half of the episode next week, but there's no way I can't talk about some of the story, so I'll be sure to divide that up and give everyone advance notice during the show if they want to bail out at any point. I've also been playing through Max Payne, obviously. I did end up finishing the main game, and once you do finish it, you unlock some extra game modes, and I'm slowly making my way through those. And every now and then, I've been kicking back with Marvel Ultimate Alliance 3 on the Nintendo Switch. I'm not too deep into the game yet, but I like what I've played so far. I'm enjoying just how many Marvel heroes are in this game and just how robust the gameplay is. I will say, though, I'm probably enjoying it more since I'm taking it all in short bursts. If anyone listening has ever played that game, I'm curious about your thoughts. All right, that’s enough of the plugs and ramblings. It’s time to get to the main event. It’s time to talk about Max Payne. Robert Gray, 1286, wrote in to the show over on our Instagram page and said, "This game was revolutionary on release and a game that surpassed the hype for me at the time. I wonder if the simple but awesome gameplay mechanics still hold up today. Bullet time, baby. You're goddamn right, sir, and thank you very much for writing in. The whole concept of bullet time was something that I couldn't wait to play with in the game. A couple years or so before the release of Max Payne, the movie The Matrix had just blown all of our minds with its visuals and awesome slow-motion gunplay. When I heard about Max Payne, I was super excited to see how all this translated to a video game. So does Max Payne's gameplay mechanics hold up today? Join me as I recant my recent experience with a 21-year-old classic and see if Max Payne still has some of that hype that Robert and many of us who've played this game back in the day felt. Originally released on July 23, 2001, Max Payne puts us in the shoes of Max himself. Max is an NYPD detective at the start of the game who comes home to witness the brutal murder of his wife and infant child. While working to solve the murder of his family, Max is also working a drug trafficking case involving a new designer drug called Valkyr. The more involved Max gets in his investigation, the deeper he finds himself tangled in a conspiracy that involves crooked cops, a pharmaceutical company, rival gangs, and even a secret society. Can Max find the truth while he forces back the pain of his past? Well, let's gear up, Wildlanders. Throw on your leather jackets, grab your Beretta handguns and a couple bottles of painkillers. It's going to be up to us to help Max find the answers he seeks and take out anyone who gets in our way, one slow-motion dive at a time. When Max Payne came out when I was younger, on the surface, it didn't really grab my attention. Third-person shooters seemed like a dime a dozen back then. Not that I played a ton of them or anything, it just seemed like Max Payne was just going to be another one tossed on that pile. Even though Max Payne was originally released on PC in July of 2001, it eventually made its way to the original Xbox and over to the PlayStation 2 at the end of the year. I never owned the original Xbox to this day, and I've never played a single game on it. Once my house upgraded the Super Nintendo to the Sony PlayStation, we were a PlayStation family. Fast forward to December 2001, and our PlayStation 2's disc holder was getting ready to swallow up a copy of Max Payne. Since I have the memory of a goldfish, I can't quite remember if we ever purchased this game outright. I feel like we rented it though, because back then, I never finished the game, and when I thought to go back to it, I never remembered seeing it in the game collection. There was one part of the game that I just couldn't seem to get past, and it frustrated me enough to where I put my controller down and never went back. I wouldn't learn this until many years later, but the PlayStation 2 port of Max Payne is pretty much the worst way to play this game, as the PlayStation 2 tends to chug pretty hard when the game is running. The game itself on the PS2 is plagued with framerate drops, controls are touchy, so maybe my failure was due to that and the fact that 17-year-old me just didn't have much patience. Since I don't own an Xbox and I really didn't want to mess with downloading this on my laptop, I opted to go back to the PlayStation 2 and give this game another go. I was pretty happy when I saw a copy of this game at a local retro store and in great shape. The biggest question I asked myself when I was looking at the CD case was, does this game still hold up today? When I first played this game, I don't think I really had an appreciation for the story here, but what I did appreciate was the gameplay. Max Payne is most remembered for its amazing combat and gunplay and what was brought to the table here would set the foundation for shooters for many years to come. The work that developer Remedy Entertainment put into this game paved the way for some amazing things in the gaming world, all because of the passion they had to see a vision come to life, no matter what needed to be done to get the job done. So, what is this game? Max Payne is a third-person shooter where we take control of Max Payne, an NYPD detective that was busy climbing the law enforcement ladder. As he was rising the ranks, he and his wife, Michelle, were blessed with a beautiful baby girl. While Max loved his work, his wife and the new baby were his top priority. Everything pointed to Max and his family having a bright future. A blossoming career, a beautiful wife and child, a wonderful home.
1: Life was good. The sun setting on a sweet summer's day the smell of freshly mowed lawns, the sounds of children playing a house across the river on the Jersey side a beautiful wife and a baby girl. The American dream come true. honey, I'm home But dreams have a nasty habit of going bad when you're not
0: looking. One day after returning home from a day at work, Max finds that his home was broken into. The place was an absolute mess. Things are thrown about, graffiti is all over the walls. In the distance, Max can hear his wife screaming and crying out for help. As Max makes his way to the back of the house, he comes across three intruders. Without any hesitation, Max takes them out with his service issue Beretta handgun. But Max was too late. The damage had been done. He first stumbles across the body of his infant daughter and later discovers the body of Michelle. Max falls to his knees, his family gone, the world they built up toppled in an instant like a house of playing cards. We later discover that the three intruders were junkies hopped up on a new designer street drug known as Valkyr. Max decides to join the DEA and hops aboard a task force that is focused on discovering the source of Valkyr. Max goes undercover to root out the disease at its core, driven by anger, controlled by hatred, fueled by guilt. Three years after going undercover, things start to unravel. In the very beginning of the game, Max somehow has his cover blown, and a good portion of the people who know about Max's undercover status start dying, including his boss, Alex Balder. With his boss dead and those who know that Max is actually a cop dead, Max is considered a criminal at this point. He starts getting set up for various crimes around the city, which you can actually hear about when you check out some of the TVs scattered around the game world. It's up to Max and us as the player to carve out a path through the criminal underworld to figure out how to get Max out of this mess and escape alive. The problem is, the deeper we dig and the more bodies we pile up, the murkier the waters get things aren't as simple as they sound as we uncover just how deep the rabbit hole goes, as it were. The rage that has been building inside Max starts to boil over to the surface, and nothing will stop his pursuit of the truth. Now, as far as the overall story goes, I'm not going to get any more involved than this. While the game has been out for over 20-plus years now, and I assume all the plot twists and revelations are somewhat common knowledge to those that have played the game before, I really don't want to spoil this one for anyone who hasn't played the game or has forgotten about it. The story is what it is, but I had a great time going back and experiencing this story chapter by chapter in all of its neo-noir grittiness. So no worries about any story spoilers in this episode of the podcast. This is where the spoiler stuff stops. Before we dive into the world-famous gameplay of Max Payne, I want to talk about its presentation first and solidify the setting of the scene. While I don't think I really appreciated it until I was an adult, what stood out for me when I played this game way back when was the way the story was presented and its subject matter. I argue that the man-out-for-revenge thing has been done a million times up to this point, but the way the game presents this story resonated with me and I'm sure countless others who have played this game. New York City is depicted as a worn-down, dirty image of itself, and the game's cutscenes are told in a comic book panel format. But the images here aren't bright and colorful by any means. Many heroes in these kinds of stories may be weighed down by a tragedy, but it's just a narrative device used to give the hero a reason to go around and shoot up a lot of people. Max Payne is a character that becomes very human to us due to the way the game tells the story. There's a despair that's driving Max forward, and a sheer hatred of things. It really humanizes him and removes the action hero motif. While not really a spoiler, there's a point in the story where Max comes across a computer that's rife with criminal information that any cop or law enforcement officer would just drool over. But Max had just seen enough at this point.
1: Next to the printer was a neat stack of expensive paper. Hacking through Horn's computer would have unearthed files of criminal plans, strategies for world domination, spy helicopter reports, illegal wiretap recordings, internet porno, all of the above. Take your pick. I really didn't care anymore. I had seen too much of it already.
0: What really hit home for me during this scene was the fact that I really felt like Max did up to this point. After everything that we had experienced during the story, all the revelations, all the darkness we saw, I think I pretty much had enough of it too. As we move through the game, Max sometimes comes at odds with the idea that he still believes in the law, even though he and we as the player are forced to kill piles upon piles of people. It's almost inferred that Max is starting to enjoy this brand of justice, and as players, I can almost guarantee that we do. I used the term neo-noir to describe the game's story earlier, and I think that's the best way to describe the overall presentation. Everything is dark and foreboding, but the way the story is presented via in-game dialogue and through comic book panel cutscenes is very reminiscent of old-school detective novels. Max himself helps build up this storytelling style with him narrating the game through those comic panel cutscenes, and through his thoughts as we play through the game. Max's voice is very well done, very deep and very scratchy. It helps complete that noir aesthetic. While the voice acting in this game is not top tier, it really brings the presentation home. One of our trusted boys has a monkey the size of King Kong on his back. We need your special skills for
1: backup on a major deal. Collecting evidence had gotten old a few hundred bullets back. I was already so far past the point of no return, I couldn't even remember what it looked like when I had passed
0: it. What Max Payne really does well if you let it, is immerse you into its world. I've heard the term poetic used to describe how Max narrates the game and speaks about things around him and how he feels, and honestly, I can't think of a better word. Like I said, shooters around this time seemed to be very common from what I remember, but all of this really helped Max Payne stand itself apart from all the riffraff. It was a world that I very much wanted to be a part of, no matter how dark and gritty it was. Now, the comic book style cutscenes are what I think most people will remember when it comes to how the story is told and how the presentation is cemented. The majority of the comic scenes use live actors, and we don't see very many in-game assets used during these parts. I read that the developer went with the comic book style here because using character models and assets from in-game didn't give the story the punch or the edge that they were looking for. However, as a cost-saving measure, the actors used here weren't actually actors. They were the employees of the development studio and even some of their family and friends. Sam Lake, who was the main writer for the game, was the stand-in for Max Payne himself. They even put Sam's face as Max's in-game face, too. Because of this, the comic-style scenes themselves can tend to look a little cheesy or even cheap in some spots. But honestly, I think there's more charm here than there is cheap. I actually think a cast of trained actors would have actually taken away from this game in the overall grand scheme. Even though the development budget didn't allow for the hiring of actors to play the role of Max Payne or the other characters in the story, you can really tell these people stepped up to make the game what it is. They really had a love for it and put everything they had into these scenes. And that labor of love really translated into other aspects of the game too. I don't know if the impact this story had on those who played it back in the day will be the same for new players who haven't played this game yet, but I encourage anyone who missed out on this game, give it a try. Even if it's just to experience the story unfold. The whole man-with-nothing-to-lose thing has been done over and over again in movies and video games, but I argue the way Max Payne does it really stands out against the crowd. So with the story set up and the presentation covered, let's talk about the gameplay in Max Payne. Guaranteed, if it's not the story that's stuck with you over the years, it's definitely the gameplay. When I think of third-person shooters nowadays, I think of games that have some sort of cover mechanic where you can hide your character behind walls or waste high cover and pop in and out while you're spraying your attackers with a shower of bullets. Max Payne is not like this at all. In a game where you would think you would want to hunker down and take your time, Max Payne plays a lot like a first-person shooter in that you want to remain mobile more than you are stationary. Standing still in Max Payne is a quick way to get yourself killed. Speaking of which, it's worth mentioning that Max is not your stereotypical action superstar. It will not take very many hits for Max to get killed in this game. He's just a regular person like you and me and this is something you're gonna figure out very early on. So if there's no cover mechanic and Max can only take a few bullets before he's killed, how can you stand a fighting chance against the mobs and mobs of enemies in this game? The answer is bullet time. Bullet time is a mechanic that you can use that will slow down time in the game, but you can still aim your weapon at the normal speed. This allows you to walk into a room, slow things down, and carefully take out your enemies. It's a technique very reminiscent of old Hong Kong action movies and John Woo movies. The majority of the game has been designed with the bullet time mechanic in mind, and you can see that as you notice how some of the game's levels are designed. Bullet time is something that can be toggled on and off, and you have a meter on your screen dedicated to using it. The meter depletes as you use bullet time and replenishes whenever you kill an enemy. There's two ways that you can use bullet time. From a complete standstill, you can toggle it on and everything will slow down to a snail's pace, with the exception of your aiming. You can use this to walk into a room full of bad guys and take them out one by one before they can so much as lift a finger in your direction. If you walk into this same room without the use of bullet time, you may survive the gun battle if you stay mobile enough, but it's going to be a messy ordeal and you're almost guaranteed to walk away with a bullet hole or two in you. Bullet time gives you the ability to clean house with little risk to yourself and you feel pretty badass in the process. Another way to use bullet time is by initiating a bullet time dive. Now this is what combat and max pain is all about. If max is moving in any direction, pressing the bullet time button will slow down time and have max dive in that direction. While he's in a dive, you're still free to aim your weapons normally. You can pull off some pretty amazing feats this way, and it's another great way to stay alive. The bullet time dive can be used several different ways, but two of the most common for me would be if I was staring down at an enemy in front of me, or I wanted to round a corner where I knew bad guys were waiting for me there is nothing more satisfying than diving out of the way of incoming gunfire and whacking a goon or jumping around a corner and getting the drop on some ignorant scumbags that had no idea you were there. Oh, and something I noticed too when you start a bullet time dive, when you start your dive, your weapon that you have equipped will automatically reload itself. This will not happen if you start bullet time from a standstill though, just wanted to point that out. Bullet time is a game mechanic that will be refined and perfected over the next 20 years. Of all the games that I've personally played that have had some sort of a bullet time mechanic, Red Dead Redemption's Dead Eye system is absolutely a grandchild of bullet time. Players can slow down time and mark enemies on their bodies in a slow motion sequence. When you disengage Dead Eye, the player will fire their gun at the enemies that were marked. Just imagine lining up 4 headshots across 4 bad guys in slow motion, and watching them being taken out in real time. It's all thanks to bullet time, baby. Now, combat without bullet time feels incredibly different, obviously. Like I mentioned, this game has no cover mechanics, so the best way to stay free of bullet holes is to keep moving. You can still roll and dive without bullet time if your meter runs dry, but in a combat situation without the ability to slow down time, I highly recommend a fully automatic weapon like the Ingram submachine guns or the pump-action shotgun or the sawed-off shotgun. Your Beretta handgun works well enough, and you can even dual-wield them if you can find an extra one lying around, but the Beretta's stopping power can be kind of limiting. Before we move on to more of the nitty-gritty in terms of gameplay, I think it's time we take our skills for a test drive and get a feel for how gameplay actually works in Max Payne. Let's check out the game's opening level. We learned already that Max is working undercover to find the source of the Valkyr drug, but let's let Max himself get us up to speed with what's going on and what our first mission is going to be.
1: I came in from the cold and the dark. Outside the city was a cruel monster. I've been slowly working my way from the small time to the big fish, trying to get to the source of the drug. Alex and B.B. were my only contacts in the DEA, the only ones in this decrepit city who knew I was down here. B.B. here. Something urgent has come up with Jack Lapino. You need to meet with Alex immediately, at the Roscoe Street Station. I hadn't had a face-to-face with Alex since I'd gone undercover. Outside, the mercury was falling fast. It was colder than the devil's heart, raining ice pitchforks as if the heavens were ready to fall. Everyone was running for shelter like there was no tomorrow. It didn't get any better when I got to the subway. My Beretta stirred nervously under my coat, but the train doors had already shut behind me, and I was in for the ride. Next stop, Roscoe Street Station and Alex.
0: When we get off the train, we discover the platform is empty. Alex is nowhere to be seen. Tension fills the air as we move about the platform and discover a door that's marked for subway personnel only. Thinking Alex may have chosen to meet somewhere secluded, we investigate. As soon as we enter the area, we're met with a large blood stain up against the wall with bullets clearly peppered into the wall. The blood trail on the ground suggests whoever died there was drugged into the back room. Swinging the door open, we find the bullet-ridden body of a subway worker. This is not good.
1: Death was in the air at Roscoe Street. I'd have to find Alex fast.
0: Now before we move on, we take a moment to investigate our surroundings. You can check out objects in the background and potentially find items this way. The first thing in front of us is a green standing cabinet. If we walk over to it and interact with it, we can open it up. Inside, we find ammo for our service issue Beretta. Let's take this with us, shall we? There's several lockers in the center of the room, but opening up the lockers yields no items. However, another standing cabinet in the back of the room has one of the game's most useful items. Painkillers. We take a bottle of those with us as well. The pills would hold the pain back for a while. Painkillers are what we'll use to restore Max's health. In the lower left-hand corner of the screen, you'll see a silhouette of Max. As Max takes damage, that image will fill up with red. Once it's completely full, Max will die. Using a painkiller will reduce the amount of damage Max has taken, effectively easing his physical pain. The interesting thing about using painkillers is that the effect is not instant. Max will have his health restored over a period of a few seconds. Those seconds can be very agonizing if you decide to use painkillers in the middle of a gun battle. Still, painkillers are like gold. You can hold up to eight on you at once, and you should do everything you can to have a healthy supply on you at all times. Having looted everything that we can find and with our trusty Beretta in hand, we make our way back to the train's platform. Before we round the corner, though, we spot two shady-looking individuals on the platform. Wasn't Jake supposed to take care of this? He and Mickey are having too much fun taking care of the cop up there. What's the plan? Simple.
1: Gun down every mother loving bastard that gets off the train! Sweet. Didn't the
0: train go already? No idea. Let's just wait and see. This isn't good at all. We can't have these punks killing innocent people. It doesn't look like we're going to get any backup, so we decide to confront these pricks. As soon as we step onto the platform, they spot us and raise their weapons. What the?! We draw our gun and shoot at the nearest goon. scratch one bad guy. The guy behind him is about to fire on us, and we're standing right out in the open. Shit, we need to act fast. Relying on pure instinct, we dive to our left, keeping our body horizontal with the ground. It all happens so fast. The creep gets off a shot, but it misses us by inches. It's as if we could watch the bullet slowly sail over our body just as we line up the sights of our weapon right on our pal. As soon as we've lined up center mass, we pull the trigger. He goes down in a hail of bullets just as we hit the ground. As we stand up and dust ourselves off, we look around. No more bad guys. We take a moment to reload before we press on. As we move up the stairs and are about to round the corner, we hear another two goons who are standing over the body of another subway worker. Not wasting any time, we round the corner and start firing. Ah! The bastard that we didn't shoot at got a lucky hit on us, and did some pretty decent damage. Not waiting for him to fire again, we dive straight at him and we're ready to put him out of his misery. Everything around us slows down again as we bring our gun up. The sick and hateful expression on the mobster's face is more than enough to validate what we're about to do. We pull the trigger and eliminate the threat, all before we ourselves even hit the ground. Ah! As we stand back up, the pain from the bullet we took stings a little. We reach for the painkillers we found earlier, and allow them to take away a little bit of the pain. Much of the gameplay will follow this formula. You'll need to progress through each stage to the end, and in doing so, you'll progress the story. The game itself contains three parts, and each larger part contains multiple chapters to play through. The chapters themselves are not all that long, and you'll feel as though you're progressing at a pretty decent pace. The game delivers just the right amount of gameplay, and interjects just the right amount of story in the middle to keep the pacing pretty fresh. There is one level that absolutely destroyed the pacing for me that I felt very compelled to complain about, so I'm gonna do that, but. In a little bit, outside of combat, Max Payne does have some base item hunting and puzzle solving. This gives you a reason to take a moment after everyone is dead to search your surroundings. The nice thing about these item fetch quests or the puzzles is that none of them really feel out of place. They're not really overly complicated, and they don't slow down the game's pacing. They're a pretty okay distraction and does just enough to keep you feeling like you're immersed in the world of Max Payne. And speaking of distractions, most things in the environment can be interacted with. See a cabinet? Open it up. See a vending machine? Dispense a drink. Found a toilet? Give that thing a good flush. These are all needless additions that really add to the character this game is creating. As you find weapons to add to your arsenal, you can pretty easily switch between all of them on the fly, though you have to be careful. Selecting weapons is all done in real time, so don't reach for another weapon when you have someone actively shooting at you. You're going to run the risk of dying with your hands in your pockets. Speaking of the weapons, there aren't too many weapons to choose from, but what's on offer in this game all have a distinct purpose and feel to them. The sounds each weapon makes are all very unique and very distinct, even the little sounds of shells hitting the floor. I thought that was really well done for a game this old. Now as far as the weapons themselves go, you have your basic pistol along with a more powerful Desert Eagle that you can find, and you have the fully automatic machine guns that I mentioned, the Ingrams. I did want to give a shout out to the shotguns in this game, the pump action and the sawed off. Of all the weapons I used in this game, I used the pump action shotgun pretty consistently. Not only is this weapon pretty powerful, it has the potential to be lethal at long ranges. If you can get good at using your bullet time dive with your shotgun, you're going to be a force to be reckoned with. And when I say the shotgun is good at long ranges, I'm not even joking. There were times that I would shoot at an enemy with no expectation of hitting them, but they would fall to the ground dead. My only thought is that one of the many pellets being shot from the shotgun had to have hit the head or something. I would consider this almost unfair if the game itself wasn't so hard. Now that's something I want to bring up too while we're on the topic. For better or worse, Max Payne is a hard game. Like I mentioned before, it will not take much to kill you. What's worse, I almost feel like some of the gun battles that you get yourself into are decided purely on luck as opposed to your skill. I remember going into a room once that had two goons staring at me, guns drawn. Even though I was starting a bullet-time dive to the left, one guy was able to hit me a few times with a sawed-off shotgun. I was able to kill him, but as I was waiting for Max to get back onto his feet after the dive, his pal was able to finish me off with a few pistol shots. When I replayed that same section, I employed the exact same tactic and used pretty much the same timing. This time, however, I walked away untouched. It was weird. Another thing that's adding to the difficulty of the game is something that I just mentioned. The time it takes max to get up off the ground after a bullet time dive. As I got into the later stages of the game, enemies tended to get a lot more lethal with their shots. I could almost count on getting shot by any enemies within range of me as I was slowly crawling to my feet after a bullet time dive. That forced me to rethink my tactics a bit, but it was a little jarring in a game that not only encourages me to use this mechanic, it's almost required to come out on top. Now, I could just use the regular form of bullet time where you slow down time without diving, but for some reason, your bullet time meter seems to drain 30 times faster in this state than if you were diving. So if your meter is less than half full, you'll only be able to enjoy bullet time for maybe a couple seconds. What's worse, you have to start bullet time from a dead stop, or else the game is going to put you into a bullet time dive. Once you turn on bullet time from a standstill, you'll have burned through a quarter of your meter just getting up the momentum needed to start moving. It can start to tilt this well-balanced game on its side, especially in the late game when enemies become more lethal and your bullets seem to do less damage. It's not unusual for games to get gradually harder as you go, but for me, once I hit the midway point of the story, the difficulties seemed to unnaturally spike upwards. Since we're on the complaint train, let me get the rest of this off my chest now. Like I touched on in the beginning, I only ever played this game on the PlayStation 2. I never had a chance to play this game on PC. When you play on PC, you have the option to quick save whenever you want, and I'm sure it's really easy to get over the difficulty curve if you just start save-scumming. Is that a knock on the player at all? No, I don't mean it to be. It's a game feature, so you may as well use it. This is a feature that is not available in the PlayStation 2 version that I played, at least not that I noticed anyway. So what that meant was, if I died, I would have to reload the last checkpoint in a level. And since levels aren't all that long, that usually meant that I had to go back to the very beginning. And to add insult to injury, the game's loading times are not the fastest either. This started to get pretty frustrating when it felt like the only thing that took me down in my last encounter was a random grenade blast or some mobster's dumb luck. When you do load up your last save, you'll have whatever health you had up to that point. There was one level that I was stuck on for about 15 minutes because I had almost no health left and no painkillers and about 12 bad guys I had to make my way through, but I will say, once I did make it through that gauntlet without getting a scratch on me, I did feel like a total badass. Now, I'm sure there's an argument out there on whether or not playing on PC is harder, thus necessitating the save states, but I think I blame this more on the game drastically increasing its difficulty rather than slowly ratcheting it up. Oh, and before we get off this complaint train, I have one more thing that I want to complain about. The platforming aspects of this game. Okay, so those of you who have played this game before, before you start yelling at me, I get it. Having to jump up or navigate a narrow plank of wood or jump from thing to thing doesn't account for much of the game at all. 10% of it, maybe, and that's overestimating. But Max Payne controlled like shit for me when I was asked to precisely navigate Max across a gap in the floor or walk the beams of a rooftop. Specifically, the prologue to Part 2 where Max has a nightmare involving the night his family was murdered. Now. I don't want anyone to come at me and say, Ah, well, it's because you're playing on the PlayStation 2 using analog sticks. I understand that. And maybe I do suck worse at video games than I think I do. But this level? Ooh, did this level test me. Back when I was a kid, it was this level right here that caused me to stop playing this game. In the nightmare level itself, you hear Max's baby crying, and you have to go and find her in this nightmare level. Now, the level itself looks really cool, I'll give it that. The walls warp and the lighting is intense in some spots. It, it really captures the moment. But soon you come across this area that's pitch black, and all you can see at your feet are trails of blood. You have to follow the trails to eventually make your way to the exit and continue on. There were two things working against you here. First, there were multiple pathways, so it's possible to hit dead ends and get lost. The other thing was that these blood trails were on top of some very thin parts of the floor, a floor that you can't see because of how dark the room is. If you move too far to the left or to the right, you'll fall into the darkness and you'll have to retry that section all over again. You couldn't move too fast, or you'd run the risk of falling. If you angled your camera down with the right thumbstick, it wouldn't stay down for very long, so you had to almost take a few steps, look down, get your bearings, move a little bit more, look down again. There were at least two spots where you had to jump over gaps, too. And when you jump in this nightmare, it's like there's hardly any gravity. So Max will float a bit before floating back down to the ground. It was INFURIATING. And sometimes, even when I would just tap my left thumbstick up, Max would just jut to the side and fall off the stage. Oh, and did I mention that the level is filled with the sounds of Max's baby crying her little eyes out? Ah, oh my God! It really was a nightmare. And if that was Remedy's intention, then they nailed it. But God damn, this level pissed me off so much and I hated it. <sighs> But again, I get it. This whole part MAYBE takes 5 minutes and that's all. But still, no one I've ever seen online talking about this game has ever complained about this level, so I'm gonna be that guy. Fuck that level so hard, (sighs) goddammit. But it's okay. It's okay. I made it through, and it was awesome finally getting past that part. I really did feel a sense of accomplishment getting past something that I couldn't get past so many years ago. Doesn't mean I liked it. Alright, so other than that, I don't really think I have any other complaints about this game, and I think that complaint right there, it's kind of a needless one, I'll admit it. Now I know it sounds like some of this stuff might be pretty substantial when it comes to the overall experience, but this game is still a cut above. From start to finish, I had a fantastic time blasting my way through this game and uncovering the game's story. Once you get used to the game's controls and movement almost feels like second nature, it's just an absolute blast to play. The fast-paced nature of the gunfights and the slick moves that you can pull off using bullet time never gets old. And even though I would die to something that I would consider cheap here and there, never once did I ever want to stop playing. Not like I did when I was a kid. I would reload that last checkpoint and go right back into the action and go get me some. Being that this was Remedy's first crack at a game like this, I have to say they did an amazing job. Sure, you have your flaws here and there. The game can be a bit tough to control, the difficulty can be a bit uneven, and a random death can really put the brakes on your adventure, but the overall package this game has going for it more than makes up for the missteps. So to that end, I believe this game was great then, and is still great now. Before we start to wind down, as we were talking, I started thinking about the game's presentation again and wanted to mention a couple more things. What made Max Payne unique was the art direction the development team took when it came to the in-game assets. Now, we touched on the comic book-style cutscenes already. What I'm talking about is inside the actual game world itself where we move Max around. I'm not a graphics expert by any stretch, especially when it comes to computer or gaming graphics, but I was pretty stunned to learn how Remedy did the graphics for this game. Now, from what I gather, normally when you want to do your in-game graphics, someone would map out all the textures individually used in-game by hand, and that would be applied to your in-game assets. What Remedy did was use real-world photographs as texture wraps. Initially, some of the development staff thought this was a lazy approach and didn't really want to do it, but just like bringing on friends and family to do the live-action comic panels, using photos like this was a huge cost and time-saving measure, so they went ahead and did it. One thing that came from this approach was how the faces on all the characters look. You'll have to Google him if you've never seen him before, but Max Payne's infamous in-game face is a photograph of writer Sam Lake wrapped around the Max Payne gameplay model. It's because of this technique why everyone you come across in the game looks like they're in the middle of the world's most painful shit. They're almost comical and even cheap to look at now, but the technique itself was pretty innovative. Aside from the characters themselves, this technique was used on much of the environmental assets. While some of the environments you walk through can be a little barren, like a worn-down apartment building, the detail is pretty damn impressive for the time. Everything has a degree of realism due to the actual photos used to wrap the in-game assets. I read that some of the development staff actually traveled to New York to take pictures of buildings and objects to use in-game they made it a point to go to some of the more seedier parts of New York and had to have a couple of bodyguards with them while they went around and took photos. All of this work absolutely paid off because it all helps to transfer the player into the game world itself. Even with the PlayStation 2's lesser graphics, it was hard not to see all the detail when you stopped and looked at it. New York in-game felt very much alive like it was its own being. Subtle lighting effects, especially those that came from muzzle flashes, illuminated the walls and objects around them beautifully. So to wrap it all up, Max Payne absolutely holds up as a must-play game today. Based on my research, the definitive way to play this game would be on PC where it was originally born. Not only does the game run much smoother and look much better, there's a pretty in-depth modding scene over there if that's your thing. If you want to play Max Payne on consoles, I would actually recommend playing Max Payne on the original Xbox. From what I saw, the game experience is much smoother. On the PlayStation 2, the frame rate tends to chug pretty hard. I have no way to actually measure this, but my best guess is that Max Payne on the PS2 is locked at about 30 frames a second, when everything is going well, but it can slow down to the single digits when things get too hectic on screen. Is it so bad that it makes the game itself unplayable? No, not at all. Just keep all this in mind if you go out to pick yourself up a copy. If the PlayStation 2 is the only way you have to play this game, I still think you should pick it up anyway. Curtis over on the Retro Wildlands Facebook page mentioned that this game is about 10 bucks on Steam, which is a pretty decent price for the game. I paid about $7 for my PlayStation 2 copy at a local gaming store, so even just taking a chance on this title isn't that much of an investment. And it's an investment I absolutely encourage you all to take. While the first game in the series had its flaws and stumbled over itself a little bit, the story is a wonderful experience to sit through, and the gameplay is never not fun. There aren't too many games out there that have the power to fully pull you into their worlds, and Max Payne still gets the job done here. When I was playing, I grieved with Max as he tried to make sense of his family's death. I emphasized with him when he struggled between what was right and what was wrong. I rooted for Max when he had another scumbag on the ropes, and I celebrated with him when the credits began the roll. I still think back to that feeling. I remember grinning smugly. It was the grin of a winner. All she wrote for episode 19 of the Retro Wildlands Max Payne for the PC, Xbox, and PlayStation 2. Thank you very much for taking the time to listen to the show today. I really hope you enjoyed it, and I hope I did Max Payne some justice. While I think it's easy to describe Max Payne in some ways when it comes to presentation and gameplay, I can't quite capture that feeling that you get when you're actually playing it. So, again, I encourage you to give this game a try. And if you've played it before, find a way to play it again, guaranteed to put a shit-eating grin on your face. If you like the show, please consider subscribing to it on your podcasting platform. This will make sure any time a new episode goes out, you'll be notified. Also consider leaving us a good review or rating on your platform if you're able to. While those sorts of things will certainly make me feel good, it's one of the best ways to support the show. Higher review scores help circulate the podcast, and I would love to see how big you and I can grow this project. If you really like the show and think there might be something here, please consider spreading the word about the Retro Wildlands to your friends or family. Better yet, spread the word to your Amazon delivery driver. With the holiday season fast approaching, those folks are going to be pulling some long hours, I'm sure. Nothing helps pass the time faster than a gaming podcast. And even if you don't tell them about the podcast, give your delivery drivers some love this year. Those people deserve a solid high-five for everything that they do. And don't forget to check us out on social media if you haven't already, too. You can check us out on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram by searching at Retro Wildlands. You can get some updates about the show over there, and enjoy some gaming goodness on your timelines and feeds. Plus, social media is the best way to get a hold of me directly, so if you want to give me any feedback about the show, pick my brain about anything, or just bullshit for a little bit, shoot me a message or interact with one of our posts. I tend to reveal what next week's episode is going to be on the weekends, and also give people the opportunity to interact with a podcast by leaving comments or questions that I'll respond to in the show's intro the following week. So if that's anything that interests you, throw us a follow, and be on the lookout. So what's coming up next week? It's finally time for me to sit you all down and talk about Crisis Core Final Fantasy VII for the Sony PlayStation Portable. I'm sure some of us have probably gotten to the point of Final Fantasy VII fatigue with all these remakes coming out, but back in the day, this game was something else. Not only did it take the normal Final Fantasy format and turn it into a live-action role-playing game, it had a pretty deep customization and level progression system that gave the game tons of replay value. While it filled in some story holes in the original Final Fantasy VII game, this story can be enjoyed without knowing any of that. It really is a -a one-of-a-kind standalone experience with some pretty likable characters and solid gameplay. Is it a perfect gameplay experience? Of course not, but we'll get into all of that next week. Crisis Core came out at a time in my life where many things were going on, and I had a hard time staying grounded. It was a game that served as a fantastic escape, but it was also a game that instilled upon me some good lessons and a mindset that I try to embody to this day. What it means to have honor, and how you should go about preserving it despite everything else going on around you. I appreciate this game for that, and I'm eager to tell you all about my experience with it next week. Until then, my friends, my name is Nomad, and you can find me roaming the retro wildlands.